When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Syme, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. Today our guest is legendary guitarist Bruce Kulick. I'm joined today by co-host Dane Clark. How's it going, Dane? Great, Andy. How are, how are you doing today? Good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? It's going well. Thank you, Andrew, for, for asking. How's, how's life in uh, Indy? It's great. Hanging in there. Good. Bruce Kulick became a guitar hero when he was asked to join KISS in 1984 as their lead guitarist. Kulick was featured in the band from 1984 until 1996, performing around the world in addition to his recordings and videos with the iconic band, which during that time produced major hits. Tears Are Falling, Forever, Crazy Crazy Nights, Who Wants to Be Lonely, Domino, Unholy, God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, Reason to Live, Rise to It, and many, many more. During those years, Kulik earned multi-platinum and gold records and video awards. In addition to his years in KISS, he toured and has recorded with the likes of Meatloaf, Billy Squire, Michael Bolton, Lordy Union, and has featured on many artist projects other than the ones I mentioned. Since 2000, Bruce has been the lead guitarist for Grand Funk Railroad, the American band. The current version of Grand Funk is in its 20th year of touring. In addition to his appearances at guitar shows and clinics across the world, for the past three years, Bruce has been a featured performer on the sold-out Kiss Cruise. Please welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, the legendary Bruce Kulick. Hey, guys. Thanks. Thank hey, you very Bruce. much for the invitation. Hey. We're so glad you're here. So glad to talk to thanks. you today. So, man, I just got to say... I've never seen anybody that had so many, uh, a part of so many legacy acts. I mean, Kiss, Graham Funk, Michael Bolton, Meatloaf, 
Billy Squire, Todd Rundgren, Ronnie Spector. Uh, I mean, that's really amazing. Astonishing. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, look, I had great opportunities growing up in New York, and I have to thank also, um, you know, uh, my brother. He got, he was connected a little older than me, and we, we obviously uh, got to meet a lot of the similar people between Kiss and, and everybody else, you know. Sure. Um, Meatloaf was the first big act, though. Even when I was toiling in the nasty clubs for um, uh, doing disco artists like like George McRae and then Andrea True. You know George McRae? You know, that's the one that did uh, Rock Your Baby, okay? Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. Andrea True had more, more, more. Well, I wound up, because I was doing like, like a disco band, even though we were playing some of the hipper top 40 in the mid-70s, all of a sudden, that agent winds up with George McRae, and I'm off to Europe, you know. But my brother was already doing a lot of cool things, and then he heard about the Meatloaf, Meatloaf audition. At some point, we actually worked both with Michael Bolton in clubs. He wasn't anybody yet. And then he gets offered a record deal. And actually, my brother and I were both supposed to be in Blackjack, the band that I had with Michael. Turned out just to be for me uh, uh, in the end, because Bob didn't work it out with them. But one thing goes into another, you know, and it's it, great. I have to admit, growing up in New York helped because uh, there was so much going on then. Nowadays, sure. I think it doesn't matter in the way we share music and the way we be can become famous is much different. But certainly uh, that whole New York scene, I was able to thrive. If you have talent and you're going to be smart enough to answer the call of opportunity. Well, we've we've talked about that quite a bit um, in our um, our discussions and we rarely see each other anymore. There's that to consider as well. It's all, it's all internet and uploading, you know, sound files and, and graphics. So it's a faceless kind of business that we're in right now. Yes. But you're right. Timing, time and place. It has a lot to do. You know, if you've got a good work, work ethic and of course talent, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing when you have a little luck on your side too. Well, thanks. And, it, it, you know, but there's no doubt. And I, I tell people I'm no, I'm not like the official motivational speaker, but I always am very clear that if there's an opportunity there, you better know what the tools are to deliver and you, and you should be as professional as you could be and just, you know, show up with the right attitude and, 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 and hopefully things will work out. And then when you do a good job there, it turns into another good job. And that doesn't matter if you went to some you were a marketer, you know, and you were a marketing firm and it didn't work out there, but people liked you, different companies appreciated what you did, whatever. And then it goes into another thing. So sure, right. the music business is just brutal and it's a business and it's pretty cutthroat. But truthfully, uh, if you have the talent, there are opportunities out there, but you better know how to put it together and you better know how to, you know, function as a, uh, you know, as a pro. And change with the times too, because, you know, it's... Oh, yeah. And show up on time and sober, you know, that helps. Exactly. And be a nice oh, yeah. guy, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> Easy you know, to get a lot along of the with. guys, yeah, certainly the people that you'd like to call an a-hole, they, they are usually at the top and they get away with it. You follow what I mean? Yes. Okay. I've met And them. all the other guys, oh, the band is great. Oh, uh, I don't want to talk to that singer, you know, the guy. I'm not going to give you any examples, but you all know what I'm talking about. Oh, but they, it's because they can, okay? Mm-hmm. They can be difficult. Not that all of them are. I, I met, I was very fortunate, right. like Brian May, and we all love Brian, not only because Queen is uh, an amazing band, but Brian's a, you know, a, 
astronomer and astrophysicist, whatever. But the guy, I met him in 75 or something, six, and and he was really nice. And I was just like, this guy, it's like, it's queen guitar player. (laughs) And I'm talking to him. He came to like, he came to a disco and I think my, yeah, he was playing with Andrew Drew or something. And, but we had a nice chat. I so regret I can't find that photo of me and him. But the point is, I was like, wow, if I ever get the opportunity that people want to meet me because I'm, you know, known, which would happen years later with, with, with Kiss and all, sure. um, I want to show them respect like sure. the way, you know, Brian did. Well, can you take us back uh, to the early 70s and, and your very first band that you played in and how, how you came from being interested in music and specifically guitar uh, to playing in that first band? Sure. Well, you know, obviously, uh, I'm like millions of other musicians that, at least my age group, that the Beatles were the big thing, you know, to see them on Ed Sullivan and to actually, uh, it it just was, I'd never seen anything like it before. Music was already a bit in the house. Both my parents were a bit musical, but not professionals. And my brother was already playing a little bit of Bob Dylan acoustic guitar that my dad hated, you know, or like (laughs) folk people, which was a totally different thing. But the Beatles came. And it was just, you know, life changing. And, and that, I think, was a basis for a lot of groups from, from Kiss and, and many, many others, as you know. Uh, and the guitar was natural to me. Thank God. OK. Yeah. My brother was able to show me a few things because he was a little ahead of the curve learning. But then I took lessons from a record shop down the block. And, and the next thing I know, I'm um, jamming with people in the neighborhood to the next thing I know, I am uh, playing in those clubs that were kind of funky i mean my very first probably paid gig was with my high school band we played on the circle line you know that's that like kind of almost looks like a tugboat around the the island of manhattan that's i actually played bass in that band because uh i love bass my brother played guitar so my first electric instrument was an eb3 jack bruce was a hero of mine you know from cream Mm -hmm. sure now the whole music scene as you know the british invasion and from Hendrix to Clapton to Jeff Beck and then groups like Mountain and, and the, you know, just, it was, it, Hendrix was so amazing. I, I was so moved by all that. I dived in. I was totally immersed in that. I didn't care about sports. I just wanted to hear music. Yeah. Okay. I like the Yankees cause I grew up in New York and then the Mets, but you know what I mean? I was totally into the guitar thing and it, it was, and these bands just kept coming. I was very aware of Grand Funk. I didn't know years later I would be in the band, but, yeah, that's an example. I was like, mm. wow, they're like kind of like the American cream, but a little more funky. <laughs> oh, the guitar player sings and he's he doesn't use a lot of distortion all the time. He goes to a fuzz pedal. You know, it's a but that energy of a power trio blew my mind and it sure. always flips me out to think that, you know, I got got a chance to play with uh you, you know, Don and Mel like all these years and then of course those years in Kiss was so amazing. But certainly there was just so much um great 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 music to in, in, in immerse myself in and then i had the knack i remember at a young age playing in some of those cover things people saying to me um you know like you're 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 something's gonna happen you're gonna you're gonna be known you're, you're getting out there i know it i'm like okay you know what i mean because there are guys that grow up all they do is perform in front of their mirror they want to be a rock star you know i was kind of like the reluctant like, I just want to play my guitar and hopefully it connects. And then 
Yeah. I just was so fortunate that a lot of, and along with the professional attitude, of course, yeah. and not being a, a, you know, anything with drinking or drugs to, to distort or dilute the talent in the, mm-hmm. in the professionalism, right. I wound up, you know, taking those opportunities and, and doing the best I could with them. So, like I said, I first was touring with these disco hit bands, and then I wind up uh, having an opportunity that Bob and I were going to be in Meatloaf together as the dual gu- lead guitarist, Killer and Pretty Boy. I was mm. Pretty Boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> My brother's attitude was more Killer-related. And Meatloaf went from nothing being booed off the stage and with an opening uh, for Cheap Trick in Chicago to arenas you know and and uh, and then one of the biggest selling albums of all time sure. you know that that was huge, it was just yeah. that first tour and 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 wow. you guys should know and everybody listening learning that i mean experiencing that was such a great education you can't get that in school or college or anything no no teacher could show you how to go on the road and deal with the personalities and perform on stage and travel and then all of a sudden i'm on saturday night live with meatloaf you know uh with and that's the you know uh Gilda Radner and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Jim Belushi. I mean, John Belushi, you know, I mean, first on, era. you know, yeah. yeah, early years. And yeah. uh, the meatloaf thing, it was pretty crazy. He was out of his mind, but I was pretty thrilled to be part of that band and uh, and to do that music. And then from there, I wound up with Michael Bolton. Uh, we had our band named Blackjack. And then I wound up doing, and and we 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 were good, and the record label hyped the hell out of it so much they put so much money into it that unless we had a gold record, we couldn't uh, really justify what happened, and maybe we were overhyped, even though it was a very good band. Uh, but I stayed in touch with Michael, of course, when it stopped, and I I did a record with Billy Squire. Then I went back to like just gigging in Long Island tri-state area with the Good Rats which were, that band was only really known in the tri-state area. Meanwhile, we're opening up, we're on a college show, and the headline is Ozzy Osbourne with Randy Rhodes, and the wow. opener is Motorhead. Okay, oh, we were wow. in the middle. Wow. Which was like, oh, really? I saw Lemmy, I was like, oh my God, right? So Motorhead opened for you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But again, because that band had a college crowd, and they, awesome. we used to play all the bars on Long Island and everything, and it was in a place in Pennsylvania. So um, the music business carries on with very odd things at times. And you never know who you're going to pass on the way, you know, during on your journeys, of course. Sure. So, you know, with the Lou Reed thing, which we, we talked about before the interview started, when one of you mentioned my brother, we both met him with George McRae. We're playing the Elma Combo. I think it was one of the hip clubs in Toronto. And, yep. and Lou Reed and Mick Ronson walking. I used to live around the corner from it. There you go. Yeah. A lot of great bands played that. Meatloaf was a big thing. We did a radio show from there, and that helped make his album. I got it somewhere over there on the wall, you know, Canadian gold record besides the other countries. Yeah. But Lou Reed's chatting to us, and well, Bob and I, like, and, and we had horns <laughs> during that, that, that time. And he said, ditch the horn players, you know, something like that. You know, it's just like, wow. And next thing you know, Bob runs into him in a studio in New York. And then he says, you know, they work it out, and he plays on Coney Island Baby, want to lose album so one of his classic you see what i mean you don't know who you're going to meet you mentioned blackjack the band that you had with michael bolton and some of the interesting footnotes as you're looking through your history and there's a lot like damon said earlier but the jay-z connection to blackjack and then also the songwriting credit you have uh with kanye west as well can you talk about that a little bit one one was handled really right the kanye west so i have a nice uh, platinum record over there in the corner a big big three times platinum or something like that the college dropout 
<clears throat> the Jay-Z thing not handled right and um, still trying to work it out, which isn't fun, let Got me it. tell you. Got but it. the point is, there is a song from one of his albums that the backing music was uh, a song that I wrote with Michael. That's me playing guitar. Mm-hmm. I'll go look for my name on the record. Ha, 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 ha. Mm-hmm. The music <laughs> business. What can I say? Mm-hmm. But uh. um, people, people are chatting about it. We'll see what happens. But that's kind of weird. But a lot of good rock artists, I, you know, I, I, you know, obviously Leslie West, I used to see a bit at events and some shows with Grand Funk. And I love Mountain. Leslie's a big hero of mine. And I remember him telling me he had like, I don't know, some live track that was properly sampled by a huge artist. And he might be making more money from that than any of the gigging he's doing. You know what I mean? The fact that the rappers were borrowing rock stuff, I'm glad I got on that list. Yeah, you know, bad. Somehow. no question. Bad. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's such a fascinating history. I mean, wow. <laughs> and some of it seems like, and maybe, I don't know, kind of at the right place at the right time. It's based on the way that you're, you know, kind of telling us here. Is that, is, did you ever feel that way? Kind of like, man, I'm so glad I was in the room at that time. I mean, I, I do. I, I mean, how, I mean, depending on how you believe in fate or opportunity and, and things like that, I have to admit that. Sometimes I think there's a there's a bigger you know like uh, force out there that kind of you know in in a way moves things along. I used to notice that some great stuff would start to happen every time I I went like when my parents got old and it, it's you don't you don't get a manual when you're taking care of seniors you know what mm-hmm. I mean and you right. love them they're your parents and uh, I'm a good son but like I would go the extra mile and the more I'd go the extra mile. Then that phone rang and it, 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 it relates exactly to Graham Funk. Actually, I knew they were, they couldn't stay in New York. Bob and I lived in LA and there was no way that that was going to work. Uh, you know, my dad would, would, was struggling. My mo- mother would just like, you know, uh, have a problem. And the, at one point they both wound up in the emergency room where, where they fell or just something happened. You know what I mean? That was really, and I, and I just make that decision. Okay, that's it. I'm flying out and we're going to make the, uh, the plan you know, to move you guys to LA and you're going to live in an assisted living place where they'd be take care for it. I don't have to worry about them falling down, right. you know? And, and then while that was all in motion, I get a, uh, an email from Don Brewer. I don't even believe it's Don Brewer. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it is. And then I remember speaking to him from my parents' home when I said, set up, uh, okay, let's, let's speak, you know? And then sure enough, you know, I got the invitation to check out, Grand Funk Mach 2, whatever. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, it's, it's, this is our 20th year, although not a normal year, but I'm just saying yeah. 20 years with those guys. So, um, I saw you guys a few summers ago, a band I managed open for you guys in Dayton. And I, I've always been a Grand Funk fan and fan of right. yours and, and Kiss fan, etc. But I was honestly, and I, I've seen a lot of shows as a pro, you know, working in the promotion business. I was amazed. I mean, everybody in their position in that band, phenomenal don Thank unbelievable you. max oh, yeah. carl Absolutely. still his voice yep. is still spot yeah. on yeah. now you i mean it's just i was honestly i knew you were going to be good I, i've seen you a lot in kiss so i was like oh bruce will be good but i hadn't seen grand funk before sure. and um you know uh, i've also seen a lot of uh of bands that i'm kind of like oh this is t- kind of tough to watch you know yep but it, no, was, it was mean. it was a real a real right. joy to watch man what a great i mean band. that's the reaction we get i'm very fortunate everyone's talented we're all we all get along which is a miracle too because after helps. all those years you know we all have that respect and we know how to give each other space if needed but the point is we just want to go out there and, and and entertain people and let them have a good time and even if we're that soft ticket band at an event where 
it's it's one of those city festivals that you know you, you know they're going to check out the band but they're not necessarily at the festival because of that band they everybody just goes wild and they love it so we always feel like we win and then of course there's the gigs like the casinos where people know like oh no i want a ticket to grand funk sure. and right. we do the show and we do a great job so um and i'm i'm never I, I know, I mean, we all have our back on stage and you're a musician, so you know that, you know, and you probably saw that too, that we all, like you said, you all, we all had our role and we did it to our, our, our best. And that times five makes for a, um, a powerful band. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about album covers. Uh, obviously, we, uh, and move it over to Hugh a little bit to do a deep dive on that. Now, Hugh uh, obviously created the cover for one of the Kiss records that you play on, Revenge. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I saw that listed. I didn't know which one. That's awesome. I yeah. love Revenge. Yeah. yeah. So we're, he, I'm going to let wow. him take it from here and, d- and do a little bit of a, wow. a little bit of a deep dive on that with you. My first question would be, what what possessed you to take away? your 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 uh, signature your iconic makeup well you know what they ran that course i never wore the makeup in the band like most bands there's a cycle of popularity and i remember kiss because the times were changing they did i was made for loving you huge hit for the band mm-hmm. actually but yeah. at the time it was like what the hell they want god of thunder and rock and roll all night not some kisco thing mm-hmm. they called it yeah <laughs> so eventually you know things started to like wind down they were fighting and got member the well, next thing you know, they're, you know, they have to put out solo records to even make them happy. It was ridiculous. But eventually they just made a decision to take it off actually in 83. I wasn't yet the guitarist, but at that point, uh, it worked. That was a big gimmick. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They, they like, could play, yeah, they could yeah. sing, they could look I okay. I remember when yeah, that yeah. happened, yeah. Now you go down the line. I joined because they can't settle on the right guitar player. I come in in 84 and I toured for Animal Eyes, although I only did a little ghost guitar work like my brother used to do. But Paul said to me, don't cut your hair. I didn't know why he said that. They already had a brand new guitar player named Mark St. John. And I was like, that was weird. And then about six weeks later, I get a call from the KISS office. They need you to go to Europe at least, maybe more. We'll see. You know, and the next thing I know, I'm in the band for 12 years. Okay. And you came along, I kind of almost at the end of my era uh, for that artwork. And Revenge was a real important record because it represented, uh, like the title said, that the band got tired of maybe um, needing to, to, to re-examine themselves and just do the best thing with no compromise. And I think the key ingredient to that direction was also Bob Ezrin. I know you all three know who he is. Mm, of okay. course. Very famous producer. And he's done some of the best music from Pink Floyd, Dallas Cooper, no, no. And Peter Gabriel and on. So that's a great record you got involved with. Okay. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, and I was also delighted to meet Gene and, and uh sure. and then from that his production company called me in to do quite a few other covers with him so that that worked out well um i love telling the story that bob ezrin who i didn't really know as bob ezrin when he was at nimbus nine studios have you been to nimbus did you go no to but i knew about it yeah yeah well he called me in and you know i i knew he was kind of a, a big deal but i didn't know how big he said he just got back from london after 21 months working with a band over there. And he started playing me this album. I remember standing in his studio and going, holy shit, this is probably going to do pretty well. It was the wall. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, Bob is, uh, he's the mad professor. I call him. And, uh, he's, he's, when he's on point, he's amazing. And I know for yeah. revenge, I got the best of him. And 
I really hit it off well with him, and I'm very honored that that I had. That's some of the really uh, silver linings of, of the Kiss years. There were times when Gene and Paul produced, and they were they had a great mm-hmm. point of view of what they should sound like. But it was a lot different when somebody else who has that kind of talent and uh, right. just coming in and yeah. and, and taking yeah. charge. And then he would also great. go from being that big and that that you know larger than life. And he brought me back to do a project for this little band that he called a kind of a garage band with huge, uh, huge potential. And I don't know if you remember that summer song called Switch Into Glide by the Kings. The Kings. I've heard of it. Yeah. He produced that and sent me to, you know, that's speaking of timing. He sent me down to Asylum Records to deliver it way before, before internet and uploading JPEGs and art files. And on the strength of that visit to L.A., my six-week visit turned into 16 years. So you're right about timing, yeah. Awesome. I mean, uh, album artwork is always such a uh, complex, you know, it could it so easily can look, you know, cheesy or whatever, and it could really set the pace for what the music in, that, that you're trying to share means, you know. So I'm always very, very critical of it. I agree with you, and I'm always a bit guarded about being, uh, by thinking it's that important, because every once in a while an unusual cover just becomes iconic despite its, its, its simplicity. I always cite, uh, what was the one with the girl in the airplane? Um, Blind Faith, really crude cover, but unbelievably memorable. And, and, and then they banned it. You know, yeah, I know. I got one. Though. <laughs> yeah. That's the British version, right? Cause the, yeah. Yeah. Different. Not covers. so uptight about the, uh, right. You know, young teenager or whatever she was. Yeah. Well, you acknowledge the, the part that graphics play in, in rock, you know, and presenting albums at the, you know, at the shelf appeal level in stores, especially in the retail days. Yep. How important is that to you? Uh, How, how, um, how much have you actually wielded your own kind of control and, and input with respect to art in your career? Well, very much so, even though it is great to guy to, to work with guys like you, you know, obviously who are just have a knack for it, you know, but I generally, um, you know, I know some people I can go to to have a discussion. I know sometimes when I see a striking image that why does that impact me? And why why does that feel like that could be something to influence what I want to do? So I'm very visual besides, you know, being being um, audio man, uh, like the, a record called Audio Dog, my first solo record. There was a fan that put together, a, a, you know, my face with lots of interesting elements to it. And that became that cover. The second record was a little more of a struggle, but I, I knew I wanted to call it Transformer, a former member. I'm, I like Transformers in an amp. So um, the imagery was just a live show, but with some lightning and stuff. It came off a little cheesier. Someone like with your town probably would have bumped it up a level, but you would have gotten the idea. I love the back. I took a picture of my Marshall amp with the tubes showing, and there were pictures of me nice. during different years of my life in the tubes okay and those were my ideas and you can still see it's a martial amp kind of thing um so i do like getting involved now bk3 the last solo record i really had my hand involved with first of all i started with great pictures with niels lozauer one of the icons in rock photography he lived one street over from me there you go all right so <laughs> he's probably still there if you're talking about in hollywood okay yeah, yeah i am yeah 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 okay and then he works with tom germain who you may know that name he's worked with kiss you yeah. know so I went all out with that record because I spent four years recording it and a lot of money in the studio and Gene was on it. Gene Simmons, his son, Steve Lukather, you know, John yeah. Karabi, a lot of people. 
So next thing I know, I'm working with Tom Germain, and that was a real scene, but so easy because he had all of Neil's photos. So then he started throwing some things at me, and I'm like, I love, you know, I, I just found actually the four choices he gave me for like the cover art, and it's just there's no, you know, no doubt I chose the right one, but the other ones, they're all creative, but they just didn't feel right. And I'm still showing that image sometimes and using it, you know what I mean? And, and the elements from it. So when you have talented people working on things and I still talk to him, he's still close with me. I've been talking about doing some t-shirt stuff because merchandise is important. People can still support that while gigs aren't happening. And I'm not flying off and playing. So right. artistic people are important and the visual is important. So in the same way as that, if I'm going to share a video this morning on my brother, I know that people's interest may be gone right away if Bob's not in the first few frames. Flashback Friday, he's playing with somebody interesting. They may not be a fan of that guy. I want to grab their image. So then I take a screenshot of him with Tim Curry. It turned out to be, you know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show guy when yeah. that guy had a music career. And that becomes my thumbnail because I know I need that. All right? right. And that's what you're providing. The cover needs you need to grab someone's attention you know I, I got involved with doing some of the live auction pages for kiss and i'm realizing well wait a minute if i'm going to announce that i'd be there for an hour to, to show them some of the things that i want to sell i better have a good thumbnail so yeah. there was a guy that uh works with a my singer todd kearns who does the cruises with me and i said will you do this for me you know and the next <laughs> thing i know it comes i send them a dracula photo i was dressed up as count draculic Okay. You know, and I'm like, hey, you know, I got makeup on and I got the cape and this blood coming out of my face. No one's seen me like that except for the expo I did 10 years ago on Halloween. Right. So he takes that, gets that Halloween font and there you go. Yeah. You know, so mm -hmm. you're in a great position to help bands be seen. Now, if the content, what's inside that record or something is still garbage. It's still garbage. That's what I was going to say earlier. Sometimes the tail wags the dog on that because, yeah. you know, whether the cover's good or not, if the music's great, the cover becomes infamous or famous because yeah. of the music. I've even become kind of glib. And, and you know, when I got the title from Neil and Rush for Counterparts, a nut and a bolt was all I wanted on the cover. And yeah. everybody thought, well, that's really pretty bravely minimal hue and they weren't sure but it became the best-selling t-shirt for the band another there you go you know it's a good thing you didn't come to me with transformer i probably would have had a a picture of a kid sitting in the middle of a train set or or, that, or that's not a bad idea though because i have i grew up on a train set i might have loved that idea again i wasn't working with someone but i know now to if i don't think it's really powerful what i'm working with i go to people like yourself you need to you know mm. This is one of my album cover 101 questions. When I meet a band and I don't know them, I have to, I have to somehow get inside their head and inside their taste. You know, if you had to pick five really iconic album covers, where does your head go? Is, I mean, is it the White Album or is it, you know, is it? No, it wouldn't be the White Album. Certainly, no. uh, I, I love more like Magical Mystery Tour or Sgt. Pepper. Uh, and even the first Beatle album, you know, just the, black, the faces, you know, which is, you know. Which Dynasty did a good job of, of, you know, representing. I thought Dynasty as an album looked extremely, yes. very straight ahead, sort of with the Beatles, with Kiss, you know. Right. It, worked. it works. Well, the one yeah. Kiss album that I was involved with, which I recently celebrated the 35th anniversary because it came out in 85, um, uh, just around now, uh, Asylum. 
Okay. And it's oh, yeah. kind of ghosty faces on it, which at the time, some of the Kiss fans were like, mm, this isn't look very rock and roll. And I remember Paul working with the designer. It turned out to be someone that did uh, the Motels album, which also had a pop art look. Mm. And now I, I am, I'm planning, I, I, I marketed a pick tin with that image of me because it's, it's powerful. And now... Yeah. yeah, when I think of Asylum, it's definitely a Warhol kind of silkscreen feel. Yeah. So, I mean, the band is obviously... And, and when you did the cover for um, Psycho Circus, I mean, that lenticular cover was kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's ambitious and expensive. and Right. And that was right uh, when they went back into makeup and now new things are there. So suddenly their stage show, even though my 12 years, we had incredible production. You know, we had a giant sphinx on sphinx on stage. We call him Leon Sphinx, you know, and then lasers <laughs> and lights, and, and he spoke and and everything. But suddenly, by the time the reunion tour happened, and they went back in full makeup with Ace and Peter back in the band, and they've stayed in makeup since. But suddenly, like these giant screens can work. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Suddenly, yeah. uh, techniques like the uh, I don't even say that word right, but the, what they did to that cover, you know, that 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 it could be like that three D look. And they start experimenting with things like that. Yeah. And they clout to order it up because not every band that wants die cutting like physical graffiti or not everybody gets it because they want it. You know, you have to be a band of that. The band with Michael Bolton, we had a really unusual cover. It was blackjack. So it looked like the graphics of a, of a deck of cards, but one better, you know, like what you're saying, it actually had a, a folding part. It, it made it in that. I think there was some book a big coffee table book of album cover award type, you know, art. You're probably in it, I'm sure. But that cover like was in there, you know, cool. and uh, it was included. Very so, cool. um, I, you know, other albums that meant something to me is, is, is uh, you know, certainly the Hendrix album really yeah. spun my head around. Are you experienced and looking yeah. at that album cover? All his stuff was amazing. I mean, it's, it's so much, it, it's always been that art and, and music thing always needs to, run parallel and embrace each other and improve each other. Even if it's as minimalistic, like you said, you did for pink, you know, for, for rush rather. Yeah. I think that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Speaking of some of the live stuff, you mentioned the Sphinx, um, which I saw that tour. That was hot in the shade. Yeah. Um, that was honestly, that's still embedded in my memory. I saw that show at Deer Creek music center with some friends and the mouth opens up and you guys are standing there in those green laser lights at the time. I, it's still honestly one of the best stage. I, I still, I say this to people when, you know, when I'm not talking to you, it's one of the best stage productions and shows I think I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of shows. Wonderful. I mean, I've seen kiss, you know, since the years, you know, the makeup years now, the current stuff with the production, they yeah. can take out. They had the spider stage and every stage is the technology that's involved is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But I never also feel as much as I'm like, Whoa, you know, it's a million dollar production, but I don't feel like any of our tours ever really lacked that. No, and we didn't have to have the big screens or anything because it didn't exist. A big kiss sign helped or a gimmick. Even the revenge tour um, had a giant statue of Liberty. And then at the end, you know, there's, there's explosions. The face falls off. It looks like Terminator skull. And then it suddenly gives the middle finger. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because that was like uh, a New York scene. So that worked too. I saw but that music tour was as well. So the tour, yeah. What was that? I saw that tour as well because that uh, the the Alive Three record, um, right. Some of the recording was in Indianapolis. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Market Square. Did you guys have to 
put any kind of fire retardant in your hair? <laughs> um, I was always, I mean, Gene was the most vulnerable with, by spitting fire, and he did it during my years as well. Right. Uh, I do remember one time not remembering the cue, and I just happened to move away from what was going to be a flame-throwing, you know, like, like blast. Uh, obviously, uh, a higher power said, don't stand there. And I moved and I would, I, 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 but I didn't move because that was going on, going to go on. I moved because I moved, you know, but that would have been bad. It would have been a toasty BK, you mm, know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what was your Bruce? What was as a fan? What was your first attended concert as a fan? It's a great one, guys. Really great. So Murray Decay used to put on shows first, first in Brooklyn, but I wasn't old enough to do it. Murray Kay was the fifth Beatle in New York, and he yep. used to have a radio show, got very popular. He used to do those reviews, much like what you'd see in England. Remember when you heard first about the Beatles, you'd see 20 bands listed, right? Yep. And the Beatles were just one of them. So Murray Kay's show moved to New York, and he did it in a theater in 1966 um, on like 57th Street. Okay, so now it's like I could take the train. I wasn't very old, 13, but I can go and see. So this was the bill. Okay. The Young Rascals were the headliner. Good love in, you know, the Rascals. Yeah, 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 man. Of course. And the opening acts, are you ready for this? The first band that played, I'm, you know, I'm not positive what the order was, but it doesn't matter. I saw Cream. Oh, he no. came out for 20 minutes and played. And then The Who. Whoa. Oh, wow. And they wow. played 20 minutes. Before the Young Rascals. And, you're right. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like this. I don't know anything. No one knew. You know, I, I, I remember I got the opportunity to rock and roll fantasy camp where I'd be a counselor. And I went to the one in London in 07. Jack Bruce was a special guest, which was great. I actually got to jam with him with, um, uh, the, you know, the, the bad company drummer uh, in my brain. Simon right now. Kirk. Simon, yeah. Simon Kirk. Thank yeah. you. And we did uh, White Room and and uh, Sunshine of Your Love, which was mind-altering oh, awesome. to me because I, I was out of my mind to jam with Jack Jeez. Bruce, my hero. But there was a guy there in the crowd who knew he was going to see Jack and have him sign the Polaroid of him leaving the building in 1966, hmm. you know, when he just saw Cream, you know. But nobody went there for the opening acts. Nobody knew who sure. they were. Sure, that right. was like their first tour to break in America. You That's know? incredible. What what wow. an incredible show! But I I saw Hendrix at the uh, at the Fillmore East when he had to do that gig on New Year's Eve. You know, for that you know, which was pretty legendary in the band the Gypsies. The band the Gypsies record, yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw him at the Garden. I even bootlegged them in '69. I ripped off some of the stuff and incorporated it into my Kiss guitar solo when I had to do my solo, <laughs> guitar, you know, guitar. Um, no, growing up in New York, I could see some incredible shows, you know, oh, that was great. Boy, no I saw the Allman Brothers, you know, Clapton, Layla, you know, during that uh, era. Derek and, the Dominoes. Derek and the Dominoes. Oh man, that that's too. great. Well, and you just cut a uh, Hendrix tune with, uh, on that new or, or recent yes. Ace Frehley record too, that, uh, cover. Big influence for me, Hendrix. And then when Ace and I were talking and he played me what John five did for him with politician, which is another big band, of mm. course, from cream. But uh, we both gravitated to, uh, like, let, let's do Manic Depression. I think it would be perfect. That's great. And, yeah, it only came out recently because, you know, he was going to get it out late last year, then the spring, and we all know what happened in the spring. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So our, my last question, um, which you kind of had a good segue a little bit ago when you're talking about Jack Bruce, we always like to ask people, tell us about some of the biggest, like most influential shows that you personally have played on, whether you're on stage looking around like, I can't believe I'm here right now, you know, or huge shows with Kiss or Grand Funk or whatever. Tell us about a few of those. Well, you know, it's funny. I did, I did only because I referenced the Jack Bruce thing and, and the fantasy camp. From the fantasy camp, having amazing guests, you know, I had the opportunity to play with Dickie Betts, you know, from the Allman Brothers, right. wow. where he was really digging me trading off with him. I was the Townsend for Daltrey at the um, House of Blues in L.A. on the Strip when we did, you know, Won't Get Fooled Again. Jeez. Was I nice. shitting in my pants? You know it. <laughs> yeah. okay. And he's not an easy guy to work with. Mm. And let me tell you, the who is Pete Townsend because Pete's the leader. He's the voice, Roger. He's the front man. But the guy, you know, you know, when we got lost in the middle of the song, kind of, I'm like, oh, you know, and I give him the cue. And I know Roger appreciated that. You know, how could he not? Because it would have been like, duh, you know, you don't want you don't want to get the train off the tracks, you know. So anyway, I had some real, real moments there with uh, with with some of the uh, fantasy camps that was just amazing with the, with the jams that were very impromptu and wild. And one time, even backing uh, Mark Farner, who was, you know, a guest. And then, and then Paul's at that camp, Paul Stanley. And Paul loves Grand Funk. Mm. So Paul's singing, and I'm up there, too. So those kumbaya things. But no, just talking about actual bands I'm in and the big gigs, you know, clearly, uh, in Kiss, I grew up in New York. So to play the garden where I saw Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, and I did see Led Zeppelin as well, uh, that was really a big thing. That's like, you're, I made it. No, it, it was exciting yeah. to be on Saturday Night Live, you know, sure. with, you know, uh, years earlier. And with Meatloaf, we did big shows too. But I was one of nine people on stage. I'm not featured the same way I am right. with Kiss. So obviously that was big. Um, years later, we did Donington, which is a huge festival. Yeah. That's when Guns N' Roses was first breaking. Iron Maiden actually headlined that, but it was a very, very famous gig in 88. There's always been highlights of shows that are just really memorable, but certainly the garden I'll never forget. Sure. Doing that unplugged thing for MTV, that was still a gig, even though it was a TV performance. Right, right, right. right. Boy, yep. we all looked great. It sounded great. Then the big reunion, which was, you know, actually the catalyst to the end of my years with the band because the demand was there for something like that. Mm -hmm. But understandably, I was so proud of the uh, recording and the performance and the how we how we played. So, um, and you know, even with Grand Funk, there were there were a couple of shows that I loved where we would just do like a song at a at a NASCAR event. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We're playing sure. American Band. That's exciting. You know what I mean? You, and it's just get up there, go. You know, and and and, and there you go. I, you know, one gig we did. This one's really funny. I think we only had to play three songs, but it was a special event in Washington at a famous hotel. And those hotels are really cool because of the politics in DC, as you know, but we actually played in the ring and it was like for boxing. Oh, wow. Oh, you mean in the, awesome. ring. Yeah, the ring? I thought you said in the ring, in the ring. Right. Okay, cool. Isn't that weird? The only thing, wow. I, I can relate to Sinatra, I guess, at the garden when he played the, the main event. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah sure. It was, it was pretty weird. <laughs> but, and, and the girls were there with the numbers mm. in between, you know. Oh, wow. and, and there were, I can't remember, I'm not a big boxing fan, but there were a couple of really famous uh, retired boxers there that everybody was all excited about. So there's nothing like the music business for mm -hmm. some exciting, crazy things to happen. That's right. You yep. know, in big Definitely. events. No yeah. doubt.
Well, we really appreciate you joining us today, Bruce. And uh, thanks for walking us down memory lane. Uh, we appreciate it. Absolutely. So. And please let everyone know, of course, uh, BruceKulik.com is a nice portal. My website, it will take you to, uh, you know, Facebook and uh, Instagram and the Twitter. And then, of course, I've been working really hard. It's hard to do the YouTube channel. I'm still like mm-hmm. kind of just yeah. walking and crawling through it. But, you know, even having 8,000 subscribers, I'm flattered. But I meet these people that have a half a million and I'm like, I got a long way to go, guys. You know, I mean, help me out here, you know, sure. but I'm working on all that. You need to talk to Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. That's his forte. All right. Yeah. Oh, I got to say, too, you, you have by far the best backdrop that we've talked to. We've talked to by far. No question. I mean, I worked hard on it. Yeah, we've got some work to do on our end. Big time. Yeah. All right. Well, (laughs) you guys are all handsome in your own right. You got good, 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 good entertainment and information to provide for everybody. Don't worry about it. But yeah, this is I'm trying to brand myself from the uh, don't have a nickname yet for it. But there it is. It's great. It's great. Well, thanks a lot. Have a great one. Thank you. See you. Okay. Mm, Bye bye. Be well. Bye bye. -bye. All right, Bruce. Okay, so we're going to close this episode off with a song that Bruce sent us. Uh, it's from his 2010 solo album, BK3. It's called Ain't Gonna Die, featuring Gene Simmons. So uh, thanks again to Bruce for joining us today and uh, closing it out with this tune. Uh, until next time, have a good one. People say I'm always using my faith. So you point and smile, but I don't care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.